Hey, good to see everyone today. Welcome to Center Point Church. Yeah, let's clap for somebody who made it to church today. Yeah, get the blood flowing. <laughs> I just wanted to share a testimony with you before I get into the message. Uh, after first service, there was, a, there was a woman who was up at the front being prayed for, and she was weeping, sobbing, crying. And uh, I said, what's going on? Why is she sobbing and crying? And it was because she had, uh, had lost her hearing and for two years had lost her hearing. And as the prayer team was praying for her, God healed her and she was hearing again for the first time in two years. I just want to share that with you. There's no hype about it. There's a person who came to the front saying, this is what I need prayer for. And this is what Jesus sometimes does, is he breaks through and brings his touch in ways that go beyond what we could ever uh, fabricate or make up. And uh, in this No Hype series, you might have also noticed that for the last few weeks, our worship team has had a few less people. In fact, a lot less people on the platform. You're used to maybe 10 people up here with a, a lot of instruments coming your way. And we just decided, hey, during No Hype as a message series, let's do worship, no hype. Not that whatever we would otherwise do is hype, but it, it, it's an opportunity for us to determine together what's in us. Does it take 10 loud instruments all bringing some inspirational thing to get us to finally bring our praise to our God? Or will we come with a grateful, full heart and an awareness of how good he is, ready to give him our thanks and our praise, no matter if it's just one guy and a guitar up here or the full set? I mean, that's, that's really what this is about, is gathering together to be in the presence of God, aware that we're in the presence of God, and to bring to God our expression of affection, our praise, our worship, no hype but full bore. So that's what we're, uh, what we're kind of experimenting with. But don't worry, we'll bring back the, the whole crew just in time for Christmas. But what this means is the next few weeks, what are you bringing? Will you bring the full heart that's ready to come into a time like this and give God real praise, adoration, and affection, even if there's just a few people and, and, and one or two instruments? Let's search our own hearts. And instead of coming and going, well, I hope to have the, the, you know, the full set out there today. Instead, we go, I'm coming with the full heart today. <laughs> I don't care what else is on that platform. I'm going to lay out my praise in the place of worship as I should. All right, so I'm going to get into the message. This is No Hype Part 4. Uh, earlier this week, I was in the grocery store on Tuesday, and I was walking in through the entrance, and there's a whole bunch of flowers on display there, and I found myself thinking, you know what? I want to buy my wife some flowers. And the reason is that uh, I was thinking about all the stuff that Anne was doing. She was, you know, decorating our house for Christmas, and she, she was making every room in our downstairs look like a beautiful Christmas wonderland. I mean, there's, a, you know, a nativity set here, and a little red and green thing over there, and live uh, branches and trimmings over here, all this stuff. I mean, if it were me, I'd put one wreath on the door and be done with it, you know? And so I was just thinking how grateful I was that she makes our, our home and really our lives, like, just sweeter and better. And so I, I was thinking about that, and I just thought, you know what? She deserves some flowers. And so I grabbed not one, but two bouquets of flowers and brought them home. And listen, before you be, are impressed that I got two bouquets, it's really about frugality. See, the, the $30 bouquet is basically 
basically just a $10 bouquet and a $10 bouquet, and I just put them together and saved 10 bucks. That's what I did. Anyway, I, I got my, my flowers. I brought them home. I, I laid them out. I trimmed off just the little bottoms so they'd be nice and fresh, put the little you know, medicine powder or whatever it is in the jar, and I put them in a nice tall vase, and voila, a beautiful bouquet of flowers for my wife, and I gave them to her, and I got some husband points. It was a good Tuesday, right? So that was my deal. Anyway, I, I gave her these flowers, and then next day, she's uh, now getting ready for Thanksgiving, and uh, she's getting the two tables ready, because we're going to do the adult table and then the kids' table. And she was thinking, apparently, that, hey, the kids' table, they'll be blessed to have some nice fresh-cut flowers, those fresh-cut flowers, except she decided to fresh-cut them even more, because when I walked in, she was lopping off those beautiful stems right at the base to the flowers are just barely a nub, right? And I saw her trimming them, trimming, like lopping off the whole stems. And, I, and I, before I could find my filter, I blurted out, what are you doing? You can't do that to those flowers. I gave those to you. <laughs> Great words from a giving husband, right? Anyway, she explained to me, she's like, listen, these, these are for the kids' table. I want them to be able to see over the flowers, to enjoy each other's company. And uh, I was like, oh, right, right. Yeah, they look great. Nice and short like that. Sure. <laughs> it's too late. All the husband points were just like evaporated already. But she made them beautiful. Look at this. She always makes everything even more beautiful. That's just what she does, right? I give her something. She makes something beautiful even better out of it. And, and, and really today, I want to talk about giving. And it is thanksgiving. And a lot of times after thanksgiving, we focus on the thanks part of the equation. But today I want to focus on the giving aspect of thanksgiving. And what I notice is that when it comes to giving, giving is at its best when we give as an expression of our affection with our only intention being to see good come to someone else. That's when giving's at its best. Wouldn't you agree? When we give as an expression of our affection, not out of obligation, not trying to manipulate, but just as an expression of our affection. That's when giving's at its best. And I want us to spend some time today in the scriptures in Luke chapter 12. So I want you to open up your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 12. So get your Bible open or turned on and get to Luke chapter 12. 12. And while you're turning there, this message is about giving. And the main idea of my message today is simply this. Give to God as an expression of your affection to God. That's the message. Give to God as an expression of your affection to God. One more time. Give to God as an expression of your affection to God. That's the message. So, so Luke chapter 12. Here's the setting. Jesus has been traveling around Galilee, he's been healing people who were sick. He's been setting people free from demonic oppression. He's been doing supernatural miracles here and there and somewhere else. He's been bringing downloads from heaven with a revelation of the heart of God for people all around it. And so people are, are following him. They want to hear what he's got to say. They want to see him do one of those miracles. And, and they're gathering. People are gathering by the, by the hundreds. And, and at this point, he's moving back towards Jerusalem. He's in a small village, probably the village of Bethany. And he's about an hour outside of Jerusalem. And, and people are now gathering by the thousands 
Because there's just something about Jesus, that no hype, kingdom of God lifestyle that he's demonstrating, where people are being healed and set free and miracles are happening. There's something about that that people are hungry for. It's as true today as it was then. And so Jesus is, is there in this village, and it says in the beginning of Luke 12 that there's literally thousands of people crowding around him. Because when the no hype kingdom of God life is being lived out, that happens. And right in the middle of this moment where thousands of people are crowding around Jesus, this scene unfolds that we're going to jump into. So we jump right now into Luke chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 13. This is, this is what we read. It said, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So, so this scene, right, it might strike us as kind of strange that in a crowd with thousands of people that there would be one man that would blurt out, hey, Jesus, settle this case for me. I mean, that's basically what he's asking. He's asking Jesus to settle a family law case. But in, in the Jewish context, it's not strange at all. In fact, you go back to the days of Moses, Moses is settling family law cases until Jethro comes in and says, hey, let's divide it out. There's got to be more people. And you chase that down through to the days of the priests in the Jewish community. They'd settle family law cases. And you fast forward down into the days of the rabbis in which Jesus was part of. And the, the rabbis would help settle or arbitrate family law cases is what, what every average ordinary rabbi would do is help settle cases. So, for Jesus to refuse to do it, it's like as though Jesus is saying, right, I'm not your everyday average ordinary rabbi. But what he does do is he goes beneath the surface. This guy's making a request at this level, and Jesus does answer him, but not at the level on which he was making the request. You and I should take note of this. Often, Jesus answers our prayers, but not the way we were asking him to, but in a way that goes deeper, that goes beneath the surface, that deals with the issue of the heart, because that's what he cares most about. And so this guy's saying, in a sense, hey, Jesus, make me rich. I want to be rich. Make it happen. I mean, you can tell by the way Jesus responds to him that that's basically what's on his heart. Because the way Jesus responds isn't even about the, the family inheritance issue. It's about what's going on in this guy's heart. And he says it, watch out. And he doubles down. He says, watch out, be on your guard. Against what? Against all kinds of greed. Why? Why does Jesus call a guy out like this? Why, why does Jesus say these caustic words, man, in the middle of a crowd? Shouldn't he have said something a little bit more polite, a little bit more inspiring, a little bit more like hope and positivity oriented? Why, why does he call out greed right in front of a crowd of thousands of people? Because he cares about our real spiritual lives. And Jesus recognizes that greed is corrosive to the human spirit. That greed is corrosive to the human spirit because it shifts the human heart away from asking, what can I give? What can I offer? What can I bring? 
How can I serve? And shifts the human heart into saying, what am I entitled to? How can I get more? How can I get mine? What can I get out of this? And how can I get more of it? And Jesus is, in a sense, touching that and saying, that's the problem. That will corrode your spiritual life. You will not experience the no-hype kingdom of God life if your operating system within is marked or characterized by greed. Jesus is, in a sense, giving us some insight that greed can cut off a move of God. And if we want to experience the no-hype life, I can't just tell you about miracles and deliverance and healing, which we have been doing in this series, and we will do more in the next couple of weeks. I have to follow my Jesus into these no-hype moments where he deals with the issues of our heart and says, let's go there, because your spirit matters to me. What's happening on the inside matters to me. And he says, watch out for this thing called greed. Watch out for it. Don't let it get the best of you. And he, he addresses the problem. He names it. He says, it's greed. They're not going to mince my words. The issue going on here is greed. But he also brings a principle in the face of or response to the problem. And the principle is life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's his principle. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Yeah, but that's just those people back in the dusty streets of Palestine 2,000 years ago that needed to hear about that. And he been on Amazon like today yet, right? I mean, it's easy for us to get wrapped up in that very problem, in the accumulation of stuff, thinking that's going to satisfy. And Jesus says, it won't. It won't. It wasn't designed to. It can't deliver like you think it will. And we're being challenged, I think, to understand that part of our discipleship is in relation to what we get and what we give. And Jesus is calling some of us to a better place. He's, he's calling us to recognize that life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. The New Living Translation puts it like this. It says, life is not measured or, or counted by how much you own. It just isn't. I was on a, a plane coming back from Thailand a, a week and a half ago, and I was on the flight from Hong Kong to San Francisco, and I was sitting next to a woman who's from Hong Kong, and I was getting to know her a little bit on the flight, and uh, she's showing me pictures on her phone, pictures of her dogs and pictures of her business, and, and she was showing me the pictures of the import-export business and the warehouse and the boxes and, and the containers, and then she showed me this one picture. She said, this is when my business started to make money. And she showed me this picture on her phone. It was a picture of a table, and it had piles of cash on it, cash money. And she had her arms wrapped around the cash, and she was kissing the cash. And then she said, I love money. <laughs> and then she scrolled through a few more and found another one. She's like, this is the second month that we made a profit. And then there was an even bigger pile of cash with her arms wrapped around it, and she's kissing the cash. And then she said, I really love money. <laughs> See, we hadn't gotten to the point in the conversation yet where I say, I'm a pastor. So there was none of that, like, fake holiness stuff, pretend going on. And I, just, I was just kind of chuckling, laughing about it. But the truth is, as this conversation unfolded, because it was a long flight, I discovered that even though this woman had you know, piles of cash, literally, business had gone well, that her heart was, was empty. Like she, she was just sharing with me the loneliness, the being alone, the sadness of that, the emptiness of that. 
And, and it's true, really, what, what Jesus is getting at here. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. If we make our life about the stuff, we will not be satisfied. And Jesus is calling us back from that because he cares about what's going on on the inside. He's not going to be content to settle for an external display of spirituality. He wants it to come from the inside, and he goes there. But, but he really wants to make sure that people get this. And so he doesn't just lay out the principle. What he does next is he brings a parable. He tells a story because he wants to make sure this idea goes deep into the hearts of the people on the streets there of Bethany and, and into the hearts of the people sitting right here, right now in Marietta. And his story is this. He goes in, in uh, verse 16, and the story, or sorry, verse, uh, yeah, verse 16, it says, he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I love just doing the voice, making the guy sound all snide and villainous. <laughs> Maybe he wasn't that bad of a guy, but I just made him real bad. <laughs> anyway, this story that Jesus tells, it, it, it starts off, right, with, with a guy that says he's a rich man. This is probably somebody at, at some point in his life said, I want to be rich. I want to be rich. So far, so good. That's in and of itself not a problem. In the story, it says a ground, the, the ground of a certain rich man. He was a business person. His business was farming. He did well with his business. And as a result, he was successful and he was wealthy. So far, so good. Being successful and being wealthy is not a problem. It is the attitude in response to the success and the wealth that becomes the problem. I mean, that's really what Jesus is driving at here. It's the attitude and response to the success and the wealth that becomes corrosive and, and really reflects a, a, a greed that corrodes the inside of the spirit. And, and the story that unfolds gives us a picture of a guy who obviously has a great success and has amassed a lot of wealth, but his only reflection about it is about himself. And, and the attitude that that shows us is what is the problem. The attitude that any of us should have, if God is so gracious as to allow us to experience success and wealth, is the attitude that Moses recommended to us more than 4,000 years ago. Okay, Moses, a person himself who had a lot of wealth and success. But Moses talked to the people of God, among whom there were many people who were wealthy by any estimation. And he said, look, you need to bring your offering to God in worship. And here's why. Because if you don't, your heart is going to get messed up. And he put it like this. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. He says, bring your offerings to God, because otherwise this is what happens. He said, you, you may say to yourself, my power, the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God. Why don't you read this out loud with me? Ready, go. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant 
which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Check this out. It's part of the revelation here is that God has a covenant with his people to say, my desire as a good father is in fact to bless you. And for some of us, he confirms that covenant by giving us the ability to produce just barely enough. Nah, wealth. I mean, that's actually good news. It's good news that it's on God's radar to bring such goodness into our lives that it would even be characterized as wealth. I'm grateful that that's part of the revelation of scripture. God gives you the ability to produce, say it, wealth. You don't need to feel bad about it. It is a good thing in the heart of a good God to bring good blessings to us. But our response to what he does matters. It is he who gives us the ability to produce wealth. Jesus, I believe by calling out greed on those streets of the village of Bethany, is calling our attention to this kind of an attitude. To have the attitude as we receive blessing from God, that God's the one who gave it. And we might say, yeah, but hold on a second. I'm the one who pulled the extra 12-hour shifts last week. Yeah, and God's the one who gave you the healthy body and the stamina to be able to stand there and do it. And some of us would say, I'm the one who went and found those clients. I'll tell you, yeah, and it was God who gave you the relational clout and favor with people to be able to seal the deal and have those clients to begin with. And you might say, well, I'm the one who went and got my graduate degree so that I could get that job. Yeah, and God is the one who gave you the mental acumen and ability to be able to go and pass those tests and get that certification and get that license so you can stand there and treat those patience. God is working and has been working in your life, granting you the favor to accomplish whatever it is you have accomplished. Give him the credit for it. Give him the glory for it. Have the attitude inside that you know it is God who has given me the ability to produce wealth. I mean, I really, I think Jesus is calling for that by telling this story about this, this one guy and his lack of an attitude of humble gratitude and, and, and affection for God for what he provided. See this guy living out the myth of self-preservation, the myth of self-satisfaction, the myth of self-dependence, when all the while a healthy human is one who knows I depend on God. He's my provider. He gives me all things for my enjoyment. Like th that's what's healthy. And I don't see that in this guy. Let's go back to him for a moment. Verse 19, again, it said, that guy's talking, the guy in Jesus' story, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for? Yourself. God, God in a sense, says it is foolish to have a view of what you've been blessed with that brings you to the conclusion that it's just for yourself. You see that? And Jesus is just telling a story, but he's not pulling any punches. He's saying you need to recognize that it's foolish to see what you've been blessed with as something that's just for yourself. And then verse 21, it says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I want you to read verse 21 out loud from the screen with me. Ready? Go. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. It is like as though Jesus is saying here, the antidote to the spiritual problem of greed is the spiritual discipline of giving. 
of being rich toward God. And, and it's a particular kind of a generosity. I mean, there's a blanket kind of generosity that could be referenced, but Jesus references specifically the generosity that shows up as being rich toward God. Be rich toward God. I read these words, and I'll tell you what. I have to make a declaration, and it's this. I want to be rich. I want you to say it. I want to be rich. I know. Some of us are going, wait a minute. Is it legal to say that? Is this a trick? No. I want to be rich toward God. I want to be rich toward God. And there are three ways I can be rich toward God. I can be rich toward God with my time. And I'm grateful for many of you that are rich toward God with your time. You, you show up and you take care of two-year-olds for two or three services every weekend. God bless you, right? There are others of us that we have learned to be rich with God with our talents, and some of us have a, a talent. Like, for example, this week, there are 10 guys who showed up for three days in a row with their talent of building things to build that big old wooden pallet Christmas tree. That took some talent, man. And somebody had to say, I'm going to be rich toward God, take a day off of work and show up over there and be rich toward God with my talent. You can be rich toward God with your treasure. With your treasure. It's a biblical word for money. And as you consider the teaching of Jesus about being rich toward God, I hope you would consider being rich toward God in every way possible. But don't leave out the being rich toward God with your treasure. What we're really talking about is a recognition of value. So I told you about giving flowers to my wife earlier this week. And when I was standing there in the grocery store thinking about getting her those flowers, I was not thinking to myself, well, I'm a husband, and a husband is obligated at least once a year to present flowers. There was no, it was not about that at all. What was going through my mind is, man, she's amazing. Like, she's making our house beautiful. She's getting, doing all this work, getting ready for the guests that are coming over, and, and she's so good towards our kids, and she brings this warmth and lightheartedness to them that I certainly don't bring very much. And, and I'm just thinking about how much I, I love her how much affection I have for her. That's my motivation, is the love. And I think you and I need to be in touch with something like that when it comes to this idea of giving to God. That we give to God as an expression of our affection, not out of some twisted kind of a deistic manipulation. You know, like, well... He's kind of like a big cosmic vending machine in the sky, and if I give him this, then he's got to pull me out that. No! No! And it can't be, it shouldn't be out of some kind of obligation. Well, I had a pastor preach that uh, arm-twisting sermon about giving, so I guess I got to pony up. No, don't do it. Don't. Just don't. If you give, give out of an earnest expression of your affection for God. What it's about is about just taking some time to d dwell in the gospel for a minute, right? To just think about the fact that God loved you so much that he gave his son so that you could turn and ask God to forgive you. And he would say, it's done. It's finished. I've paid the price for you. You just dwell on the reality of God's unfailing love that floods into your life day in and day out. And that faithfulness of God that just persists and continues even when you mess up 
up and are faithless. That you just think about the richness of God's presence and what happens when you are in his presence. You're experiencing an encounter with him and, and the warmth, the electricity, and the power and the strength that rises up inside of you. And you begin to get in touch with how good God has been to you. Then, man, your affection is the most natural thing in the world. Your adoration is the most natural thing in the world. And to give to God as an expression of your affection is logical, but it comes out of passion. It comes out of love. That's where it is meant to come from. You know, it's interesting. When I was giving my wife those flowers, it's funny. I was just trying to give her something. But as I was giving her something, something happened inside of me. And this is going to sound kind of funny when I say it, but as I gave the flowers to her, a feeling started to rise up in me. And the feeling was something like, as I give her the flowers, I really do value my wife. I really do cherish my wife. I really do love my wife. My giving to her grew something inside of me. My giving to her drew me, in a sense, closer toward her. My giving drew me closer to the object of my giving, which was my wife. And Jesus actually said this is how things work. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin does not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Read verse 21 with me. Ready? Go. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, this is how it works. As you give, you direct your own heart closer to the one you're giving to. I don't know about you, but I want my heart as close to God as it can be. I want my heart to be as close to God as it can be in every way possible because I, I know that the closer my heart is to God, the more of his peace I'm receiving, the more of his grace and lavish love I'm soaking up, the more of his bright light is blasting away the darkness and pain. I want to be as close to him as I can in every way possible. And if giving is a part of that thing, let me give because I want my heart to be there. And so I want to send my heart there by sending some treasure ahead. And Jesus said it. Don't just store up on earth. Store up treasure in heaven. And it's talking, I mean, treasure is this biblical word for money. How do you store up treasure in heaven? You store, you store up your treasure in heaven by bringing some to the storehouse. Biblical model for this in the Old Testament is Malachi saying, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says the Lord. God is eager to see us experience his presence, his blessing, but he's eager to see his ministry, his mission thrive in this earth. And part of the, how that happens is a bunch of people just saying, I'm going to do my part. And, and many of us tithe. And because we reflect our, 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 our affection for God through our giving, we practice this ancient spiritual discipline of tithing. I want to just make sure that we're on the same page about that. I just want to define the term since I threw it out there. Tithing is bringing a tenth. That is a 10% offering, something very specific. And many of us might think to ourselves, oh, yeah, tithing. I tithe. I do that. Bucket comes by. I reach into my back pocket, pull out a crumpled 10 spot that I had in there from last week, chuck it in. Boom, I tithe. No, you didn't. You gave, and that's good. But unless you made 100 bucks last week, that's probably not a tithe. Tithing is really specific, and let me just give an example. 
just to make sure it's very clear. And by the way, the pressure's off. We already received the offering. And there's no sneak attack offering at the end of the service today. You're in the clear. So you can just listen and take it in and learn, relax, don't worry. The median household income in our city, in Murrieta, is $82,000 a year. Median household income. That's $6,800 a month. For the median household, what that might look like is on the 1st and on the 15th, $3,400 is coming in from his and hers and together, however. And, and if that household is, is, are people who are tithing, here's what tithing looks like for them. $3,400 came in on the 1st. $340 is taken and saying, God, I give this to you in my worship, and it's offered in the church that you're part of. That is tithing. And I just want to simply say that this weekend, because it's Thanksgiving weekend, I want to say that I'm very grateful to the roughly 30% of you who do that. I mean, it's hard to exactly know because, you know, nobody's checking out anybody's tax returns or something, but just kind of based on averages, it seems there's about 30% of you who do what I just said, who have grown in your spiritual maturity to such an extent that you're saying, I want my church to thrive. I want the mission of Jesus to thrive. I want to see God's blessing unfold in my community. I know the church is part of how that happens here. And you tithe, you literally do what I just said, about 30% of you. And I want to say thank you for your giving. I want to say thank you for the giving. How about the other 70% of us? Why don't you just join me and say thank you to the 30 percenters out there. No, don't look around at who's clapping right now. <laughs> no, but I do imagine, like, what would it be like if a whole nother 30% of us decided, I want to be a part of that too? impact we could have instead of just kind of just making it the overflow of what could happen in this community and so I want to urge you to begin to consider taking a step like that being somebody who would store up treasures in heaven now let me just acknowledge this too last week uh, you did something amazing you gave in such a way that we were able to provide complete Thanksgiving meals for almost 500 families in need that's amazing about $15,000 you just gave. Almost 500 families partnering with Holt Ministries to, to, to experience a Thanksgiving blessing. Well done. Good job, church. I love that. I love it. But I want you to know that kind of giving is relatively easy. One time, in response to an emotional need, oh, I mean, come on, Thanksgiving? Ah, oh, of course. That's relatively easy. You know what takes some spiritual maturity, though, is every single week or every two weeks or every quarter when you take your profits from your business, if you're a business owner, or, or that when you sell that one big asset and you take the profits and you tie them, that consistent, faithful, dedicated, intentional, planned giving that many of you do because you're a tither, man, that takes some serious dedication. And, and the, the turkeys that we gave, the turkey dinners, that's wonderful. That is what we would call an intervention. But the giving that you do on a consistent week in and week out base to make, make sure that the church can thrive, that is giving that results in prevention. Here's what I mean. I just wrote down some words I want to share with you. When you give every single week, 
prevention takes place because we create an atmosphere here where people can experience being loved and led to a life-changing connection with Christ. And when you get get to be in the life-changing connection with Christ and that life-changing connection with him is sustained, there are miracles that begin to take place and many of them are miracles of prevention. Because of that life-changing connection with Christ, marriages are healed and divorces are sometimes prevented. Satisfaction is there and as a result, addiction is prevented. Hope is cultivated and depression is prevented. Peace is experienced and freedom and deliverance is prayed for and demonic affliction is prevented. The love of Jesus as a way of life is taught and a life of insecurity and pain is prevented. The gospel of salvation is believed and an eternity in hell is prevented. I thank God for intervention giving, but man, I praise him for the prevention giving, the worship-filled giving that so many of you do. And I want to urge you to take a step. For, for some of us, I mean, there's 30% of us that do give that way. For many of us, maybe we just, we haven't kind of grown that much in our walk with Jesus to, to even know about doing this. And today I want to make sure you know that responding with what God has given you and, and making a commitment to, to have a personal plan to be financially supporting the work of Jesus in his church, it matters. Somebody has been doing that for you for a long time, and that's why we're all here. Well, what's happening here can happen, and maybe for some of us, it's time for us to take our, take our part and decide to be a part of how this all happens, and maybe you say, I can't, 10%? What are you talking about? That's my whole entire car payment. That's all the meals we eat out at a restaurant all month long. <laughs> Maybe you can't jump instantly there, but maybe you just decide, okay, let me at least move from being an afterthought giver to being an intentional giver. And you begin with what you can do, but, but be intentional and planned about it. Get on mycenterpoint.tv, find the give button, click it, and just, you know, you talk as a family, say, what can we do? And maybe God will give you the grace to get to the place where you are a tither. You know, back in the last century, there's a guy, John Rockefeller, who was the first billionaire this country ever saw. But what a lot of people don't know about him is he was a believer who tithed. And when people say, you know what, I'll tithe one day down the road after I start making some real money, then I'll start tithing. John Rockefeller said this. He said, I never would have been able to tithe on my first million dollars that I made if I hadn't tithed on my first salary, which was $1.50 a week. And I think maybe for some of us, it's time to take a step toward another level of spiritual maturity and give to God as an expression of our affection, the way a generation before us chose to do and has left a legacy for us to walk in, to create a space, an environment where the power and love of Jesus can be made known all the more. It's Giving Tuesday this week. I don't know whose bright idea it was to come up with Giving Tuesday right after Black Friday and Cyber Monday when nobody had any money left to spend, right? <laughs> giving Tuesday. But if you're a Giving Tuesday kind of person, hey, maybe this is, this is where you give. You say, I'm going to do that this Tuesday. But maybe that's too soon. But there's a birthday coming up. December 25th. It's the birthday of Jesus. And maybe as, it, as we come to the year end, you begin to say, I have some time. 
I'm going to make some preparations, and I bring a, I'm going to bring a gift that's fit for King Jesus. And maybe it's not even just a one-time deal, but maybe it's, hey, we're going to reorder things in our lives so that we can be one of those 30% that actually makes it happen around here. And, and maybe we shift the culture all together so much that a bunch of us decide, you know what? If it means that I don't have that level of car and I have this one instead, it's right for me to do it because I want to give as an expression of my affection. I want to be rich toward God. I want to be rich toward God. Why don't you say it with me? I want to be rich toward God. Yeah, I hope you do. I hope you do. Because he has demonstrated so much richness to you by sending, by giving Jesus Christ, his one and only son. And Jesus said it. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That's true. But Jesus did say this, John 17, verse 3. He said, this is life. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There's nothing better than knowing him, knowing his mercy to carry you through, knowing his strength to rise up in you and lift you. Nothing better than knowing the power of his spirit flowing in your life, through your life, to bless someone else. There's nothing, there's nothing like knowing him. Knowing Jesus and knowing that there's a home in heaven for you when you die and a power to live on this earth by in the meantime. There's there's nothing like the eternal life Jesus offers. And today, I want to pray for you that you might know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent, Jesus who demonstrates the no-hype kingdom of God lifestyle that includes a generous heart of people who have learned the value of being rich toward God. And so I want to pray today that you would would know him. If you are a believer, then today, keep going. Keep grabbing hold of his love and letting his love fill you and satisfy you. And if you don't know him today, would you consider turning your heart to Jesus and asking Jesus to forgive you, to save you, to rescue with his love? because that's what he'll do. Would you pray with me? Let's take a moment and bow our heads or close our eyes, lift our hands, whatever we're going to do. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that in this no-hype kingdom of God life, there's miracles, there's healing, there's deliverance, but there's also you dealing with some of these issues of the heart at a deep level. And thank you, God, that you want something better for us, real life. Life doesn't consist of the abundance of possessions. That's what you said. Life does consist in the the beauty, the friendships, the family, the connections, the memories, the experiences especially those where you're the center of it. So thank you, Lord, for real life. But God, I pray that you would take some of us on a journey of becoming the kind of mature believers that would want and desire to express our affection to you, even with our giving, and that we wouldn't just sing, you are worthy of it all, but we would live that life where we would give in a way that matches what we say. So God, I pray that 
For some of us right now, the truth is we would like to be givers, but things are hard financially. And I'm praying, God, for your mercy for some of us where we just need help for a better job, where we need help for our business to thrive again. God, I pray that right now you would infuse some of us with ideas, with a hope about what is possible, and that, Lord, you would bring breakthrough in our provision. For some of us, this is desperate. We need, God, provision, and I'm asking for it now. We are asking for it now, for miraculous help from heaven in our provision. And for others of us, the truth is, God, you have blessed us really good. And I'm just praying that you allow us to have a, a shift of heart that we would say, and God, I want to give to you as an expression of my affection. But for others of us, God, I pray just for eternal life, the gift of eternal life to be received right here and right now. If you don't know where you're going to live for all eternity, you don't have the gift of eternal life. If you don't know where you're going to go when you die, you don't have the gift of eternal life. If you don't know that you have heaven open for you by Jesus, you don't have eternal life. But God wants for you to have the gift of eternal life. But his gift of eternal life comes as you put your trust in Jesus. Jesus is the one through his death and through his resurrection that he opened the way to heaven for you. But this gift is something he offers. He doesn't force it on you. It's a gift. The gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation. And so I believe for somebody today, it's like Jesus is literally offering this gift and saying, would you like my gift of salvation, my gift of eternal life? And something inside of you right now, it's stirring, and you're saying, I do want that. The way you receive it is by, in a moment like this, once and for all, saying, Jesus, I believe in you. And you may have a lot of questions, a lot of things to still need to figure out. There's time to learn those things as you go, but there needs to be a moment where it begins. And maybe right now is that moment where once and for all, you begin following Jesus. You begin a life with Jesus. And so if you're here today and you'd say, I think I need to do that. I think I need to begin following Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus and ask him to forgive me and save me. If that's you and you would say, I want that. I want to start following Jesus. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and save me and give me eternal life. Right now, I want you to just simply raise your hand. That's you finally saying, okay, I, I want that. I want the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers. You raise your hand right now and raise it up as an expression that you're saying yes to Jesus, to ask him to forgive you and to save you. Raise your hand and make it known. Jesus, I want your gift. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me and save me. Raise your hand as an expression of the fact that you want his gift of eternal life and make it known right now. I see a couple of you with a hand raised and I want you to pray with me and say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Forgive me. Forgive all my sin. Forgive me and save me. I believe you paid the price when you went to the cross so that I could be forgiven. I believe, Jesus, that you conquered death to open the way to heaven for me. And so I receive your gift of eternal life now. Be my Lord and my Savior from this moment on. Jesus, I'm yours. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name, and all God's people together say amen. Why don't you stand up together?